going to have the Bible reading, and the Bible reading is John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're just looking at the first nine verses today, but I'll read um, the first the 21 verses, because that, um, in, in, that covers everything that Jesus actually said during this, this, um, this time uh, with Nicodemus. So uh, let's read the, the word of God uh, in John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a <coughs> ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practising evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Amen. All right, we're just going to pray briefly to 
ask God's blessing on the word preached. So let's pray. Lord and God, uh, again, we pray that you would be with us uh, as um, we come to your word. It's very easy for us to tune out, um, to think of um, um, difficult circumstances or even uh, just to be exhausted from uh, all that uh, has happened and all that lies ahead. But we pray that in this, um, in this hour of worship, we would be given the ability to concentrate, the ability to uh, focus in on your word and even to search the scriptures and to judge what is said to see if these things are indeed so. And we pray um, for your blessing upon us now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, there's going to be a PowerPoint going through the sermon. So um, there might be a little bit of a ebb and flow, uh, but um, you can follow along with what I'm saying on the screen uh, and we'll, we'll um, go from there. Um, again, most of you um, are familiar with... Um, our story as a family over the last couple of years. Um, it's um, the 24th of April uh, 2021, um, which was interestingly, sadly, the day before the last worship service at Polara PRC. Um, my family, along with Jake Harton and another friend of Reuben's, Tony, we went up to the Sunshine Coast and to Bullcock Beach, which is supposed to be the safe beach, and um, uh, and on that day we I dived into the water, which I think in hindsight was not greatly advisable, but I kind of did a shallow dive because if people know Bullcock Beach, it's it's really um, it goes straight from the sand into deep water and it's normally really safe for that reason and so I dived in and then uh, was in the water a few minutes later uh, Reuben dived in and he took a deep dive and um, there must have been something under the water we still don't know what it was whether it was a sandbar we presume a strong current and uh, Reuben who's here with us today he broke his neck but in discovering what actually happens it's not the it's not the bone that's the problem people break their necks and their backs and and recover the problem is actually the spinal cord uh, and so Reuben also damaged his spinal cord and he's now a quadriplegic and um, as you can imagine that day um, lives in our memory um, but it's been two years um, a few weeks before Reuben's accident, I had a dream. And if this seems familiar to you, I did put this on Facebook a couple of years ago, uh, so it might ring some bells. Um, but anyway, I had this dream. Um, you know, I don't sort of think it was like a prophecy or anything, but in it I found myself far above the ocean, and lots of things happen in dreams that aren't real, necessarily even possible, looking down, watching Reuben swim, and I saw a large shark circling him, even though I wanted to reach him, I couldn't. I was too far away. 
and the shark took him in the dream. I woke up with that awful feeling that what I had dreamed was real. Um, I'm sure we've all had that experience where you just wake up and it feels so real. Um, and with, with the driving thought pulsating through my mind and heart, I want to love Reuben more. Um, and God has certainly given me and us that opportunity. I was sharing that dream <coughs> with Reuben about a week after his accident. Um, he shared that as he was floating for those couple of minutes face down in the water, he was somewhat conscious. And if you can imagine that, it's a pretty scary thought. He said, I felt scared but calm. I trusted you, Dad. I, I knew you'd come for me. And I did, was my response. Um, and I'm just so grateful because we could have been going and getting coffee. I mean, Reuben was 14. He didn't need close supervision. Uh, but I was there and I reminded myself later on by the grace of God. <coughs> Reuben later shared that his calmness in the water came at the very moment that he started praying. One of the reasons we didn't get to Reuben quicker was that we saw his head and his arms slightly moving, but he just couldn't right himself. He was too broken. And I guess the other reason is we, we um, saw him in the water face down and we just thought, like most teenage boys, they're just play acting at, you know, uh, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm hurt, but I'm not. We've all done that. Well, most of the males in this room have done that. Um, it seems pretty funny at the time, but it's not very funny. As I turned Rubes over, he was blue, clearly not conscious. When we got to shore, he had to be resuscitated, thankfully quickly. Within a few moments, he was breathing, and there it was, life. It occurred to me later that there's no more powerful picture that reveals the life that Jesus gives than this. If you don't know God, and, you know, it's a mistake to think that, well, we're all Christians here, we just don't know the hearts of, of, of man. If you don't know God, what Reuben went through is you. Face down in the water, try as you might, there is nothing that you can do to right yourself. You are broken but you can find calm despite this. There is a father that can reach you. Not me. And the end result is life. Don't be the person who says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Pray that God would reach out to you and bring you to shore. And that's the essence of the sermon, but I'll ask you to bear with me and we'll... We'll um, go through the passage that we read and see if we can find some connections there. Coming to terms with being broken is a big thing. There's a lot of pride in the world today and it's, it feels like it's getting stronger. We just, we just revel, don't we, in... I mean, okay, I'm into NRL, you know, others are into Aussie rules, just pointing in that general direction... And, you know, we just, we just venerate these sportsmen, don't we, that are just, 
they're getting stronger, they're getting faster, um, and they're getting quicker. And, you know, we venerate the powerful, uh, the rich, you know, the beautiful, you know, and we could go on with that whole theme for, for ages. But our world is obsessed with, you know, the pride of life, really, not being broken. So, come, so the difference with us as Christians is we are those who have come to terms with being broken. And that's a good thing. But if you're still wrestling with that, coming to terms with that is a big thing. It will be a big thing if you want to take God seriously. Being broken is the one thing that we must absolutely deal with when it comes to understanding our place in the world. It's however way you want to put it, ground zero, the inconvenient truth that we must grapple with or the bottom line. We have to be broken before we can be healed. To understand this reality and find the solution, we have to go to the source of all truth. And I'm not telling you anything new, but that is the word of God, the Bible. That's where we go to the, for answers. And in John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus. And, you know, I guess most of us are familiar with Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is broken. He's certainly very confused. Uh, we don't know if he ever got fixed. But we can say that Nicodemus is broken, but he just doesn't realise it. <clears throat> Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're wrestling and saying, oh, well, I'm not broken, I'm fine, I, I don't want to be broken. <clears throat> so three things to think about today. Um, we could say three points. First one is the fascinated Pharisee. The second one is the reality of inability. And the third one is the wonder of regeneration. All right, so the first point is the fascinated Pharisee. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a group of people. And this is, you know, we, we see all that's negative about the Pharisees, and rightly so, but at their beginning at least, uh, they were a group, a group of people deeply concerned with the word of God. So they had some sort of good intention in the beginning, but misguided. Uh, so they were... <laughs> They were happy to, uh, this is the problem, this is where they went wrong. They were happy to override God's laws with their own. Um, so ladies, listen up here. One example of a pharisaical law was this. A woman should not look in the mirror on the Sabbath because she might see a grey hair and be tempted to pull it out. I've actually got some grey hair here, but you just can't see it right now. Um, so you don't look in the mirror on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath. You might be tempted to do a work of pulling that hair out. Another one is they had rules where you can only travel a certain distance on, a sun, on the Sabbath. So to, to circumvent that, they say, well, if I take a brick from my house and I'll go the required distance, let's say it's half a kilometre, then I can travel another half a kilometre and then I'll take, lay another brick and I can go another... It's, it's ridiculous. So they were concerned with the word of God, but, but just happy to repla replace or override God's laws with their own. So that's Nicodemus. He's also a ruler, uh, which meant that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and that's up on the screen, uh, which is a high court of the Jews, but always subservient to the courts of the Roman Empire. So this was one of the... Um, the um, smart things that the Romans did. They went in and, and took over, but they said, oh, you can have your own laws and look after yourselves, but 
there's certain things that you can't do. And of course, that's why they couldn't put Jesus to death, even though the Jews wanted to put him to death. They weren't allowed to do that unless they had permission from the, the Roman Empire, namely Pontius Pilate. Um, so Nicodemus is really high up uh, in, the, in the religion of the Jews at that time. So heading into our passage, uh, Nicodemus asks a question without asking a question. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I certainly have. It's usually when you're not really sure about something and you sort of just pose a statement like, oh, yeah, I can't think of an example, but I think that's right, isn't it? And then you wait for the authority figure to say, well, yes, that is correct. You are, you are right or you're wrong. So Nicodemus does that sort of thing. He says, you know, and we, we, we have that there in, um, in the beginning of the passage. Um, you know, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. So, so, yeah, we, we can see that you're a teacher, you're performing God's signs, so I guess you are coming from God. Um, so he's, he's after more information, but he, he's, not afraid, he's, he's too afraid to ask a specific question. But then comes the key moment, uh, and this is the brilliance of Jesus, which we often don't have. Jesus doesn't wait for an actual question but instead redirects the whole conversation. And I'm sure we've all wished we could do that at different times. And just a couple of statements to, to sort of give us a, a broad view of what's going on. So Nicodemus is seeking after learning, but Jesus offers life. So it's like, well, Nicodemus wants more information. And you'll meet people that they'll, well, can you just tell me a bit more about this church thing? Can you just tell me about more about this God thing? But they don't really want anything more than that. They're just sort of researching. Nic Nicodemus is seeking after learning, but Jesus offers life. Jesus says, none of that learning matters. I'm going to offer you this, which is far better. The Jews wanted a new world, but Jesus came to bring new life. And again, it's a fatal mistake. Like the Jews... You know, as we saw in the Old Testament in the time of the judges, it's like, well, you know, the, the people did evil in God's sight and then God sent a judge to deliver them. The people did evil in God's sight and God sent a judge to deliver them. And then in the time of the kings, you know, well, they were warned and they were warned and they were warned. They were taken into captivity into Babylon, Assyria as well. And then God brought them back. And so in the back of the Jews' mind is sort of this safety net that, well, yeah, God's going to bail us out one day. And maybe that's you think, well, I just want to live my life now. And then maybe when I'm about really old, like 60 or 70 or whatever, then I'll turn around and I'll believe in Jesus. They were after a new world of suddenly Israel is powerful again. Jesus said, none of that matters. I'm here to bring you a new life. So Jesus does... Um, a wonderful thing. He confronts Nicodemus with the heart of the matter. A few weeks ago, uh, we've been kind of renovating our house at the same time as getting the extensions done for Reuben. And I can't remember what job I was doing, but I, was, I must have looked like a tradie. I had the fluoro shirt on and, you know, I get into trouble from Nolene if I wear other shirts. So I've got to have the fluoro shirt on to 
to put paint on it and, and, and dirt and grime and everything. Uh, and anyway, unfortunately, we had left the gate open <laughs> because of all the builders coming in and um, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door and it just always seems to be the wrong time, doesn't it? Whenever they knock on the door, we think, oh, it's just not the right time. But then, so they knocked on the door and just such lack of wisdom. Anyway, I'm here looking like a tradie and these two two young girls, well, they say looked like under 30, um, knocked on the door. And they usually, they used to start with, um, what do you think of the state of the world today? That was the usual go-to line. And of course, everything's bad. And that's their jumping off point. Where this time they pulled out Ephesians 5. And they asked, so do you think husbands should love their wives? I'm thinking, yeah. I said, yeah, I, I do. And yeah, and then it's sort of, you know, I said, look, I'm in the middle of something at the moment and told Reuben's story and, you know, it's sympathetic. And then they walked out and there was two guys on the street. Like, Wouldn't you send the two guys to talk to the guy? But anyway, but then as we've all experienced, they walk away and I was thinking, oh, the research that I've done on Jehovah's Witness, why can't I remember it right now? And of course, when it's not like Christ... <laughs> that he just had the answers just there to just say, this is what you need to hear. That's my little story to illustrate my own weakness in not witnessing properly to them. Anyway, the most important thing that Nicodemus needs to hear is given to him by Jesus. Because he was trusting in obedience to the law of God, okay, God's law and some other laws as well, to make him feel as if he was worthy of being accepted by God. And um, I'm digressing, but there's this show called Jewish Matchmaking. And I just, we just happened to be watching a bit of it. And it's like, it just seemed that the, the Jews of today are in the same situation as Nicodemus. Just trusting in oh, yeah, Yom Kippur and all the ceremonies and little laws that don't really mean anything. Nothing's changed. Nicodemus was trusting in obedience to the law to make him feel as if he's worthy of being accepted by God. And the Bible says that the devil is a liar, and this is one of his biggest lies. And of course, the answer that Jesus gives is not that you must do something, but that you must be born again. Um, a better translation of that is born from above. I hadn't actually heard that before Trevor Marshall came and was our minister at Polara, but did the right thing and actually checked the Greek so he wasn't just making it up. And that word, um, again, means from above. So it does make sense. And we can expand on that and say that true Christians are born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think they've translated born again because Nicodemus then goes to them, well, hang on, do I have to go back into my mother's womb? So it, it makes sense in that context. But it is helpful to think of that idea of a Christian being born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having heard all of this, Nicodemus is now totally confused. I'll just read through uh, verses 4 to 8 again um, as we go through this first point. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one who is born of water and the Spirit 
sorry, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell when it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In commenting on that verse 5, being born of water and the Spirit, it comforted me to listen to a sermon by R.C. Sproul, who said, I've wrestled with that, uh, those words for 30 years. <laughs> I still don't know the answer. Um, the way I read that is, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, if you're born naturally, um, you're born of water. If you're born spiritually, you're born of the Spirit. And that ties in with verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's contrasting the two ways in which we are born. Um, and then, of course, the wind blows where it wishes is a wonderful picture of the way in which the Spirit works in our lives. And at this point in his life, Nicodemus's last words to Jesus are, how can this be? How can this be? And, well, what happened to Nicodemus? He actually does appear a couple of times in, 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 um, in the scriptures after this event. We see Nicodemus defending Jesus in John 7.51. Um, when Jesus is, is confronted, um, Nicodemus is the one who says, well, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Um, let's give this, this, this guy a chance. And then we see him helping Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus in the tomb. And you can find that in John 19.38 and following. So he's really helpful, he's, but he seems like he's skirting around the edges of Christianity, uh, of faith. So we don't have any clear indication of, well, was he ever saved? We'll get some surprises in heaven. There'll be people there that we didn't expect to see there. And there might be some absences as well. But we're not told whether or not he ever came to true faith. So that is the story of Nicodemus. Just to delve a bit more into um, the theology of it all, our second point is the reality of inability. The truth or the bottom line that Nicodemus could only walk away from is this, summed up best by Colin Buchanan. Now, I think we all know Colin Buchanan. Kids, we know Colin Buchanan? Or is he too old for you guys? I can't save myself. I won't sing that well, I can't even remember. It's a little bit of a um, difficult one to sing, but the, the refrain is, I can't save myself. Um, and that is, that is the reality of inability. It's, we are unable to save ourselves. But when it comes to getting right with God, and that's how some people put it, or I need to get right with God, we desperately want to do something, don't we? We are broken you know, we might think, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take your point that I'm broken. We have no hope of saving ourselves, but we try to convince ourselves that we can. And maybe this has been a lifelong struggle for you. You think, well, I just can't get there. But we try to keep convince ourselves that we can. And while we wrestle with this, the devil is happy. Yep, well, yeah, let them keep on struggling because 
while he thinks he can do it himself, it ain't going to happen. We can trace it back to Eden if we want. The devil offers the fruit to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that if you eat that fruit, you'll, you'll surely die? You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, okay, if you do this, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And of course, they knew good already, didn't they? They knew good. They knew what good was like, but they didn't know what evil was like. And so he was telling a half-truth. But, and they fell for it. In other words, there is something more that you can do. If you just eat this fruit, then that's going to turn out better for you. And that's better than what God can do. So that lie has been there since the beginning. Do something and you'll be better off than what God actually offers you. As you trace your way through the Bible, you see case after case of people wanting to do something. Um, we remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian ruler, who, um, you know, Naaman and the little maid, you know, the, the, uh, the, the maid points, points Naaman to... Um, Elisha, and um, then Naaman has to bathe in the River Jordan. So, well, why can't we go back to one of the rivers in Syria? Because they're just as good as this, you know, this Jewish, uh, this Hebrew, you know, river Jordan. And then once he's once he's healed, his leprosy is taken away. Then he wants to do something. Well, I've got to give you something for this wonderful miracle that you've done. Of course, Elisha says, "No, we don't want anything." But then. We have Gehazi, the servant, running after Naaman to take the gold. But the point being that Naaman wanted to do something uh, to earn this, this, this great thing that happened to him. We have Job's counsellors. So in Job's extreme anguish, over the space of five or six or more chapters, that can be summed up with Job's counsellors saying, well, yeah, if you're righteous, then you're going to get a lot of blessing." But if you're not living righteously, then this is why all these things have come upon you. And at first glance, it seems to make sense. Said, yeah, that, that's fair enough. But then we realise, well, hang on, I could live righteously, but then bad things still happen. Um, we've all been, been through that. It's not an indication of your faith or otherwise. Of course, the rich young ruler, you know, what, must, what, what do I have to do? And then he, then he doesn't like the advice that Jesus gives or I'll do, I'll do everything else but that and then of course Nicodemus says oh, well, you know, but, but what do I need to do you can't do anything you must be born again every religion apart from true Christianity <coughs> requires doing something to please a higher power I don't know if you've ever thought through that uh, reality you know Buddhism it involves you know the whole idea of Buddhism is it revolves around reincarnation. I was watching this show where the Buddhist monks were digging the foundation for their new building with teaspoons. And you think, why are they digging the foundation with teaspoons? Because if they happen to kill a worm, they could be killing one of their grandparents or ancestors. So this is the bondage of that. But the whole idea is that you, you, you do your best in life and then in your next life, you, you, get, you get to sort of get higher up in the scale of goodness. And if you've heard of the, 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 um, 
the term nirvana, that is the goal of Buddhism to go through endless reincarnations till you reach nirvana, which is nothingness. So it's not a great goal, but they've convinced themselves that it is. You've got Hinduism, Greek mythology, animism, which is like that, the Pacific Island sort of, oh, there's a devil in that tree, don't touch that tree. All of those things are, are based around pleasing the gods, that if you do this, then the gods will be nice to you. Islam and Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a works-based faith. I bracketed them together because they're monotheistic. They only think of that there's one God. They don't believe in the Trinity. Catholicism, Mormonism, SDA, they all have this in common that it's Jesus plus. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. He's the saviour. But if you're going to stay saved, you've got to keep on working and working and working. So there's no assurance of faith when you are having to do something to please God. That is the beauty of Christianity. The law says do, but the gospel says it is done. The law says do, but the gospel says it is done. It is finished. Christ has done it. Okay, so let's just read through some scriptures because, you know, when we come to terms with theology that we struggle to understand, it's a good practice just to let the Bible speak. Just let God speak. Romans 3.20 Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And it's crystal clear. That is what God is saying to you. If you're clinging on to this idea that, well, I just can't be good as that other Christian that's here today. That's not the point. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Galatians 2.21, if righteousness could be gained through the law, well, Christ died for nothing. If we could just obey our way into heaven, what's the point of Christ coming? Waste of time. Even for those of us who are truly saved, we listen to the lies of the devil who says, has God really said that Jesus' sacrifice alone is enough? Surely I have to do something. Having believed, we doubt. Say, but I'm so sinful. And you think, well, this is a good thing because we're, we're talking about how sinful we are, and that's good, isn't it? But we make a mistake. I'm so sinful, how is it possible that God could love me when I'm like this? And, okay, legitimate question, but the reality is God has chosen to love you despite your sin. And so we return to the law consciously or unconsciously, and that's a mistake. If you are not yet a Christian, there is no exam that you can pass. It's coming up to exam period at school and uni. There is no exam that you can pass to make you a Christian. It's not about how much you learn in Sunday school. No level of obedience to God's law that can make you acceptable to him. If I just reach that level, if I can conquer this sin, then I can say I'm a Christian. No. There is no number of good works that you can do. There is no sum of money that you can pay. You are broken and you cannot save yourself. And so you ask, well, what can I do? If you are saying, and if God is saying that I cannot save myself, then what's the point? What's the point? Why should I stay in this building now? This is ridiculous. 
Why should I ever go to church again? If that is you, then you are in the exact same situation as Nicodemus who said, how can this be? I just don't get it. Remember the picture of Reuben face down in the water. Try as he might, he could not ride himself. He was broken. And if you're starting to think, well, maybe I am broken. Maybe I can't make it right with God on my own. But it worries you, it concerns you, it turns up inside your heart and mind. Why am I concerned about this? If you're fearful, if life is slowly ebbing away, if you're worried, if you're stressed, as a young person, I'm so stressed about this, I need to know God. It may well be that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart now, prompting you to consider these questions. It may well be that he is calling you to the Father. But that's the reality of our inability. We think that we can do something to please God, but we can't. The third and the last point is the wonder of regeneration. The word regeneration is not as complicated as it sounds. It's not the word, but the theology that stumps us. So regeneration, just breaking it up. The prefix re is used in words like rebuild. If something's broken, it has to be rebuilt. Refill. If something's empty, it's got to be filled. Rewind. Now, where does that come from? Some of the older ones will remember um, cassette tapes where you actually had to physically rewind the tape. That's where it comes from. When you're rewinding on, the, on um, Netflix or whatever, uh, when you're streaming something, you're not actually rewinding anything. But it's, if you did, you know, cassette tapes, then you rewind it and then, you, then and it starts to play again. Re, we're familiar with that. There's all sorts of words that start with re. Um, the second part of the word is the word that is gene. Um, you know, oh, it's really got really good genes. Um, so, uh, okay, it's proto-Indo-European. That just sounds really fancy, but, you know, it's an old word. And it means to give birth. So the English regeneration does mean born again. Um, you know, talk, uh, derivations, so there's tribal, you can talk about tribes and families with this whole um, word gene. Examples are genealogy, you know, the family line, genesis, the beginning, uh, genetics, that's which passed on, you know, through family lines, etc. Indigenous, you know, that... that, that that race is indigenous to Australia or to America, whatever. Um, put the two together, regeneration to be born again. So we understand that. We can understand the word regeneration, but it's harder to explain theologically because we naturally have the mind of Nicodemus. We just don't get it by nature. These truths can, cannot be understood through the power of the mind alone. It's a really important thing to come to grips with. Um, you can't understand it through the power of the mind alone, but only through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And this is, you know, getting towards the essence of what it is to be a Christian. The Bible very clearly tells us that when we are not in a right relationship with God, we are spiritually dead. That's why we need to be spiritually born again. 
the Bible talks about it as being separated from God. And, um, you know, again, when you go back to Genesis, that curse that you will certainly die or you will surely die. You know, when Adam and Eve went from a state of being spiritually alive and in communion with God, okay, that was their state in Eden. Spiritually alive, in communion with God, to being spiritually dead. They didn't fall to the ground physically dead, but they were immediately separated from God. God describes that reality as being spiritually dead. Again, when we struggle to grapple with it in our minds, let's just read the scriptures. Ezekiel 18.4 The soul who sins shall die. You sin, you die. Ephesians 2 verse 1 You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. And then to tie those two principles together of spiritual death of being separated from God, Isaiah 59 verse 2, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That is your state. That is your state if you're not a Christian. The clearest statement regarding our inability, which sort of goes back in that last point, is 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And this is what we see in the world. We just think, well, why? I mean, we're here in Everton Park, and you would have felt this for decades. There were just houses and people everywhere, and, you know, it's getting bigger and it's getting wider, and there's subdivisions and there's more people. And so there are thousands of people who could be coming right here to the point where the hall would fill the whole block. But why doesn't it happen? Because they see what we have, what God has given us, and they think, this is foolishness. I'm going to ride my bike on a Sunday morning. Sunday, what else do you do on a Sunday? Let's have a picnic. Oh, let's just sleep all day and watch TV all day. Going to church, it's just foolishness. What a waste of time. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. You cannot know these truths. You think, well, I've been coming to church, I'm doing the right thing, I'm keeping the peace, making mum and dad happy, but I still can't get it. Why not? Because they are spiritually discerned. And that doesn't mean that everyone here is on this other plane of wonderful knowledge and spirituality through our own merit. No. We need the Holy Spirit to give us life. We need the Holy Spirit to re-establish relationship with God, the relationship that was lost in Adam. How does this happen if we are spiritually dead? The only answer, the biblical answer is this, is that when God awakens you, when God awakens you to your sin and your terrible state, he calls you to himself. And that is our prayer for you if you don't know God today. And believe it or not, there have been people that have been praying for you for maybe most of your life. 
God awakens you. That's your prayer, please, God. Awaken me. I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm lost without God. But when he awakens you, he calls you to himself. This is effectual calling. Ineffectual calling is when we're calling for our kids in the aisle. Johnny, come here, and they don't obey, and just wish they would obey. But when God calls you, it's effectual. It will have an effect. It will work. It, he will pull you with cords of love. Cords that cannot be broken. He enlivens you to hear that call. He makes you alive. This is regeneration. That is the renewing. That is the new life. That is the new birth. The Spirit enables you to respond in repentance and faith. Finally, you see yourself as you are. Finally, you see God for who he is. Finally, you see things that you have done. You can't justify them. Oh, but she did this to me, and that's why I got angry. You suddenly realize that all these things are actually sin, and they are actually offensive to God and grieve God, not just the person that you got stuck with, your wife or your husband or your parents or your children. This is conversion. But the absolute truth is that it is all of him. And these verses are just the absolute crux of it, aren't they? Ephesians 2, 7 and 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Then you will know that I the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. John 6, 63 and 65. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Yes, without God we are broken. We are broken in ourselves and our relationship with God is broken. But the wonder of it all is that God delights to work against nature to take the dry bones and make them live to repair the seemingly irreparable and that's my prayer for you today when we put this on Facebook a couple of years ago I asked the question yes we want Reuben to be physically healed of course we want Reuben to be physically healed and said to Reuben, if you believe in this Christ, then you will walk again in the new heavens, the new earth. But more than wanting Reuben to be physically healed is we want you to be spiritually healed. That's more important than anything that happened to our bodies. 
I know Reuben may not want to hear that, but the truth is that our spiritual life is it's far more important than anything that happens to our bodies. As we bring this to a close, I'll tell you another story. An American evangelist, I couldn't find his name when I tried to find the story again, but he was confronted by a man after his message. You Christians are all the same. First you tell me I can do nothing, and then you tell me I must do something. I can't win. The, the evangelist replied, well, if I can't help you, then I'd better be about my work then, and sat down at his desk. I don't think I could do that. After a few agonising minutes, the man could bear it no longer, and he exclaimed, but I've tried everything, no matter what I do. No matter what I do, I can't measure up to what God wants. Now we can start to talk, said the preacher. He went from being angry at God to wanting help. Now we can start to talk. I often relive the moments when I pulled Reuben out of the water. I don't say that with pride. I'm just glad I was there. I'd been lying face down in the water for nearly two minutes. It was probably another minute before we got him out. As I said earlier, when I turned him over, he was blue around the mouth not breathing with all my might I dragged him <laughs> dragged him back to shore to two mothers who didn't weren't that strong came running out and they said and I said I'm right which of course I wasn't and they said no you're not Help me bring Reuben back to shore. And I leaned, screamed for help. Ella looked after Archie and people looked on. We thank God that there were two lifesavers, or paramedics, I think, on holidays from South Australia who performed CPR on him and brought him back to life. <coughs> but do you remember how we started this message? Reuben said, I felt scared but calm. I trusted you, Dad. I knew you'd come for me. Remember that I told you that Reuben's sense of calm in the water came at the very moment that he started praying. If you don't know God, what Reuben went through is you. Face down in the water, try as you might. There is nothing that you can do to right yourself. You are broken. But you can find calm despite this. There is a father that can reach you, not me. And the end result is life. Don't be the person who says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Pray that God would reach out to you and bring you to shore. Amen. <clears throat> Let's just pray. Lord and God, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we know that all that we know, all that we have learnt, all that we feel, the hope and the joy that we have in you is not because of anything that we have done, 
it is only because you have chosen to open our hearts and our minds to receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for the young and old that are here this day that have not yet discovered that wonderful truth. And we pray that the words that I have spoken and the words that come through from your holy scriptures would speak to their hearts this day, that they would not harden their hearts, but they would be open to your truth and that they would believe in you uh, this day, as your word says, while it is called today. And we pray that we would not make assumptions about people, but that we would continue to pray for them, to witness to them, to love them, to teach them. Knowing that it is not by our might or by our power that salvation comes to your people, but it is by your spirit. And so we pray. But as the witness in this, in this building comes to a close, that the wind of the Holy Spirit would yet blow. In our direction one more time. So that we might go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will praise your name. And so, Lord, as we go our separate ways, we ask for your blessing upon us. And we pray that you would give us that sure and certain hope that is an anchor to our souls. Um, and as we continue on this journey through this life, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the last, we'll sing the last song. And then I'm going to read the benediction, which is just a couple of verses from the Bible to close. And then we're going to sing a doxology, which is now unto him who is able. So once we start stand to sing, we'll just remain standing till the end. And yeah, the last hymn that I chose was the day thou gavest, Lord is ended. And it's not just talking about uh, the day being over, but it's also talking about seasons being over. But as this season comes to an end, remember that over each continent and island, you know, the voice of praise will continue in different buildings, in different places, in different countries. And we are still part of that. So let's, let's finish our time of worship and song.